Hello, and thank you for listening to the MicroBinFi podcast. Here, we will be discussing topics in microbial bioinformatics. We hope that we can give you some insights, tips, and tricks along the way. There is so much information we all know from working in the field, but nobody writes it down. There is no manual, and it's assumed you'll pick it up. We hope to fill in a few of these gaps. My co-hosts are Dr. Nabil Ali Khan and Dr. Andrew Page. I am Dr. Lee Katz. Both Andrew and Nabil work in the Quadrum Institute in Norwich, UK, where they work on microbes in food and the impact on human health. I work at Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and am an adjunct member at the University of Georgia in the US. Hello, fancy meeting you here. Mine is probably not the voice that you expected to hear when you tuned into the show, but that's because today the Canadians are taking over the MicroBinFu podcast to tell you a little bit about the SARS-CoV-2 sequencing and analysis in Canada. I'll be your guest host. My name is Emma Griffiths and I'm a research associate at Simon Fraser University and I'm helping to lead the data harmonization effort for our national SARS-CoV-2 sequencing initiative called Cancogen. And I'm here with two Canadian medics legends, Dr. William Shaw and Dr. Finley McGuire. So Will, would you like to quickly introduce yourself? Sure, uh, my name is Will Shaw. I'm a associate professor at Simon Fraser University in the Faculty of Health Sciences. And I co-lead the Kenkogen uh, Metadata Working Group uh, together with Emma. So Finn, would you like to briefly introduce yourself? Sure, I'm the Donald Hill Fenn Family Fellow in Computer Science at Dalhousie University. All this basically means is I'm an independent postdoc that gets far too little supervision to do largely things that interest me. <laughs> so and particularly in the context of the pandemic, I've been doing a lot of work with Cancogen and the NML at the national level and genomic epidemiology of the virus, as well as working with specific groups in Ontario, such as McMaster and Sunnybrook, in particular, okay. looking at variants and outbreaks there. So you're basically a man who gets around. Yep. <laughs> so before we dig into the technical details, I first wanted to do a little bit of a Canada 101, which I hope will put some of the following conversation into perspective. Some things you need to know are that Canada is the second largest country in the world by land mass. It's about 5,800 kilometers across. In fact, we're representing the two, the two coasts right now as Will and I are in Vancouver on the west coast and Finn is in Halifax, Nova Scotia on the east coast. There's about four hours and five time zones between us. Canada is made up of 10 provinces and three territories and we share a very large border with the United States who are we are closely linked with through trade, travel, technology, the environment, pathogen surveillance, and much more. We also have communities of Canadians who originated or have family ties with countries all around the world, especially Europe and Asia. And in fact, I think that applies to all three of us. And we have communities of Indigenous Canadians who identify as First Nations, Inuit, or Métis peoples, who, when it comes to pandemic surveillance, have important considerations when it comes to knowledge and benefit sharing. And on that note, I'd like to acknowledge that I'm speaking to you all from the unceded ancestral traditional territories of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh nations, and we'd like to thank our hosts for sharing these lands where we live, work, and play. Listeners will be tuning in from countries all over the world, and they may not be familiar with the COVID situation here in Canada. So, Finn, can you tell us a little bit about what's happening here in terms of the pandemic? So, the pandemic has kind of, it's been quite variable across Canada. It's ranging very much from the very densely populated provinces such as Quebec, Ontario, and BC 
particular have had like the the large burdened cases alberta as well and total there's been about nine hundred thousand cases across canada whereas then you have provinces such as on the maritimes and the coasts such as nova scotia where i'm based uh new brunswick pei newfoundland that have had relatively very few cases and really especially with the reduction of flights very much act as kind of geographic islands mm-hmm. um and that so that's reflected that kind of range of case counts is very much reflected in a density of like genomic surveillance. Mm-hmm. So for example, in Ontario, where, you know, there's over 320,000 confirmed cases, mm-hmm. uh, while they have done the majority of the genome sequencing, it's, uh, there's about 6,000 current public genomes from Ontario. That only reflects about 1.9% of all their cases. Right. Whereas provinces such as Nova Scotia, which has had 1,600 confirmed cases, but has actually managed to sequence 772 public genomes so far and have sequenced more oh. actually behind the scenes. So we actually have 46% kind of coverage in genomic surveillance. There's a huge variety there. And then the the final kind of step of that is the degree of lockdown is hugely variable. So currently in Halifax, I can actually go to the pub. I think there are limits or something like we can have up to 50% capacity, up to 150 people inside. You know, we're we're not allowed to have festivals. Like that's kind of level of restriction. Like obviously that changes at times. And if there's any surge, they kind of lock that back down a bit more. But then that compares to say downtown Toronto right now, which is in essentially full lockdown where you cannot gather with anyone outside of your direct family. So the the geography really means there's such a huge, there's a huge range of different manifestations of COVID-19 across Canada. Right. Right. Canada has a decentralized healthcare system. And as you've already mentioned, the, the public health orders are, are very variable across Canada for a lot of different reasons. Now, when I say a decentralized healthcare system, Canada has what's called socialized medicine. So everyone gets a health number. You can go to the doctor or the hospital for all kinds of different types of treatments and tests and care for free. That also means that healthcare is considered to be under the jurisdiction of the provinces and the territories. So they have authority to say what tests are performed and what public health actions should be taken. So, Will, what sorts of issues arise for SARS-CoV-2 sequencing in a decentralized healthcare system? Uh, as you already mentioned, Canada um, healthcare system um, is a federated system in that while the federal government provides the financial support for the healthcare system across Canada, each jurisdiction is uh, given the mandate to carry out the healthcare for its population. And as such, it's also deemed that the data that resides within the healthcare system and the data collected through the public health uh, system in each of the provinces uh, under the jurisdiction of the provinces. Though um, there are some, uh, this is sort of the broad interpretation of how our healthcare jurisdictions is, is set up. Although um, there are some um, work being done to, to really highlight that indeed that's not the intention of the system. The intention of the system is indeed one that will have the federal government working closely uh, with the provincial counterparts to jointly take care of uh, the Canadian population. Um, but the interpretation of, of that um, is often not, uh, it's lost in the shuffle. So we do end up with a situation where uh, each province essentially has its own healthcare system and, and especially its own health informatic system. And they're not always easy to um, share data from one province to another or share data between uh, the provinces and or the territories and its, its federal 
um, counterpart uh, in in our case, the Public Health Agency of Canada for for the uh, data associated with with the COVID nineteen pandemic response. Right, right. So, in the face of this decentralization, Canada has a lot of moving pieces when it comes to SARS CoV two sequencing, as you've already alluded to. Well. So can you tell me a little bit about those moving pieces and how they intersect? So I'm going to direct this question to both of you. I'm not sure who wants to start. Um, Will, do you want to start? Sure. So while we have a decentralized system, it's, it's a system that indeed provinces are communicate with each other, typically through a setup of a network. So in the uh, case of um, public health, laboratories, there's a, a network called the Canadian Public Health Laboratory Network, or CPHLN. And this network is set up to consist of all the provincial and territory uh, public health labs and the uh, um, federal lab, namely the uh, National Microbiology Lab in Winnipeg. So through this network, um, there, will be there are regular communications um, about uh, various topics related to the pandemic response, and also informatic systems uh, such as uh, SINFI, which is an epidemiological-oriented information gathering system. So, so essentially, an Epi Intel system has also been created, and there are other data collection instruments that are being used to gather information across network. Although often, in the absence of such devices, pa paper-based form are usually then capture in Excel spreadsheets or other sort of ad hoc information gathering devices and, and share it that way. So by no means are we a coherent and cohesive network when it comes to information sharing, but nevertheless, it is a highly collaborative and highly interactive network. And so where a lot of that collaboration has kind of really started to has manifested itself is in this umbrella Cancogen organization. So this is a Genome Canada, which is kind of one of the funding agencies in Canada, particularly focused on genomics, as you'd think from his name, that has actually a similar, similar to our kind of decentralized federal provincial structure. Genome Canada is also divided into different sub bodies that cover different areas across Canada. Mm -hmm. um, so largely through a lot of us already working together with the NML and provincial partners on infectious disease genomic epidemiology through work with IRIDA, Integrated Rapid Infectious Disease Analysis Platform, which I always get wrong. Uh, a lot of us were kind of brought into this Genome Canada funded Canadian COVID genomics network. And really that was kind of set up to kind of coordinate how we're doing data collection, coordinate how sequencing is happening across the country. And the sequencing is happening at a whole mix of these different partners. It's happening centrally at the NML. Some provinces are sending everything to, to the NML. So Nova Scotia, for example, are not doing much sequencing locally. What they're doing is they're kind of packaging everything up, sending it to the NML, and then the NML is kind of doing the sequencing and analysis for them and then feeding that information back to them. Whereas provinces such as BC and Ontario and Quebec, which have a lot of that infrastructure and their own big and the larger scale public health labs and agencies sort of doing that kind of sequencing themselves and then maybe feeding data to the NML and Public Health Agency of Canada for kind of broader federal coordination. So yeah, so Cancogen is really the kind of the coordinating arm and yeah, as well as the provinces, we also have individual kind of academic partners like the Ontario Institute of Cancer Research is doing a lot of sequencing, much as, as is McMaster University really led by uh, Andrew MacArthur there of 
that some of you might know from uh, the card database and AMR work. It's really transitioned to do a lot of virology all of a sudden. <laughs> so yeah, so we have lots of meetings and there's all these different working groups such as data analysis, the metadata, which Will and Emma are really both like key members of. Yeah, so that's kind of the, and Kankagen also does include non-viral seek. It's really, it's also meant to be doing so-called host seek. Um, so that's doing human genome sequencing on infected people to look at the kind of epidemiology from that side of COVID-19. So linking but, like that the pathogen side to the the host side, to see how yeah, exactly. both of the, the the genomic mutations and uh, genomic effects can impact outcomes. And then also like again in our you know in the slightly fragmented federated system, there is also some provincial like specific provincial efforts such as Oncov, so the Ontario Rapid COVID coalition which a lot of the covid stuff but it's a lot of the same people that are also contributing to cancogen so they're not they're not totally separate they're very nested in one each other in each other mm-hmm. and again there are lots of services being run through that there's private next street instances host the nml for each province so they can see their own data in that evolutionary context there's public next street instances for ontario and canada as a whole which i kind of host and uh, are listed on the next string website so there's a whole bunch of different kind of services that all kind of fit underneath that so there really are a lot of moving pieces to cancogen and the the sequencing effort in canada maybe could add quickly that if the king before COVID-19, there's already some capacity for doing genomic sequencing and also doing genomic analysis within the public health system, uh, chiefly through the coordinated effort of the, the Canadian Pulse Net, which uh, focuses on foodborne diseases. But with the, with the pandemic, the idea is to have Cancogen act as a coordinating body for, to bring together both genomic experts in the academic uh, community with the public health experts and also with with healthcare experts in the hospital and so on and coordinate the effort to use genomics to address both host health but also pathogen evolution related challenges and questions. Um, Drilling down on the viral data a little bit more, how is it being stored and analyzed for national surveillance? Um, I guess, Will, do you want to take that? Sure. So as uh, Finn already mentioned, uh, in Canada, the large provinces, namely Alberta, BC, Quebec, and Ontario, are doing its own sequencing uh, in-house or in partnership within the province. As a result, sequences are generated at various sites across Canada. And there is a, a national database that's hosted at NML that's meant to bring together all the all the data to a central site for national surveillance. And uh, as already previous mentioned that NML is also doing sequencing uh, on behalf of the smaller provinces that uh, currently does not have genomic sequencing capability in-house. And therefore the, the national database act as, a, as an aggregation site for the data. However, there are some challenges with, with that with storing the data nationally, namely data sharing agreements need to be established across provinces with the federal site. So uh, even though the, the technical setup for the database was in place a month ago, it's still an ongoing process to ensure that the national database indeed has all the sequence data from the, the provinces. But in the absence of that, uh, right now, a subset of the data is actually been sent directly to Gizet and published uh, internationally. But I could I could add that the effort had been made through the Kenkojun coordination that fairly soon there will be indeed a coordinated effort to make the Canadian data available 
uh, through a national data portal that's hosting Canada and will consist data that, that will be publicly available. Largely modeled on the kind of great, great example of that we have from COG UK, as well as like yeah. the opportunities of integrating that with that MicroReact framework. So we can do a lot of those analyses very much quicker rather than kind of a bit more of an ad hoc way where we have to pull down that mix of data from GSED, from different submitters, et cetera, and try and coordinate all that. So as we're talking about the portal, we're talking about all these different players, um, data sharing frameworks, um, I, I can just imagine that, you know, all these different pipelines, there's all this different instrumentation that's being used, presumably there must be different quality control metrics across all of these different uh, submitters. Um, so, so basically, how are we dealing with all of that, Finn? The fundamental thing is we kind of let anarchy reign to some degree <laughs> uh, in terms of the actual analysis methods that are happening. But then we kind of, we develop through the quality control working group in Kankajin led by Jared Simpson at OICR, kind of really developed a kind of quite solid set of baseline QC metrics mm -hmm. that all of the genomes have to kind of ascribe to, focused on both issues in data prep and controls, actually analysis, like RNA extraction, et cetera, all the way through to like the bioinformatic analysis and de-hosting. We also did develop some like standard tools for trying to improve the use of de-hosting. Mm -hmm. So that included NanoStripper for Nanopore data mm -hmm. uh, at the NML. And then also within the context of the signal workflow, uh, worked very carefully again with Jared, trying to develop a sort of competitive bite, competitive mapping solution. So we managed to kind of, between the host human genome and the uh, viral genome references, to try and deal with a few of those reads that were kind of, that were mapping to both. Mm -hmm. And by having a competitive mapping, instead of just mapping to human and throwing away everything that, maps to that or mapping just the virus and throwing away everything that doesn't map to that as some approaches have been done that really kind of let us keep some of those like in the middle in the middle reads that had a better mapping to virus than human but did map to both so a lot of work on that de-hosting and then the kind of then finally the kind of the the main kind of over time especially through discussions with the data analytics workflow and some of the cphln calls the data analysis kind of core kind of standardized and crystallized, not just as it did across the world, to be honest. Mm -hmm. We kind of start with very disparate workflows. I mean, everyone kind of crystallized on something quite similar to the, you know, the Arctic kind of Connor Lab kind of Nextflow workflow with that core of the IVAR BWA kind of approach for doing variant calling consensus generation. Like then a lot of the others, it was just kind of framework and infrastructure around that common core, which meant at least the data was relatively comparable and the QC mm. metrics could be pretty robustly in, done over the data without having to like deal with like very different types of data. I mean, you've already kind of mentioned some details about the, the tools, the platforms, the pipelines that people are using. Do you, are there any other comments that you want to make? Any more details that you want to provide about that? Sure. So, I mean, I mean, everyone, everyone's doing the amplicon sequencing as we see across the world, largely the article protocol, but there, there we are seeing, we are seeing variation in the actual primer schemes being used, free resend scheme. Some are using the Illumina COVID seek, and that's largely down to individual lab preferences, individual mm -hmm. performance preferences, the throughput they're wanting, what they have available. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a there's a big source assortment of different sequence prep kits and instrumentation being used. It's mostly Illumina Nanopore again, as you'd expect. But there has been supply chain disruptions, as mm -hmm. many people have faced across the world, from pipette tips to specific reagents. So again, that's affected the way kind of that's been done, as well as just expertise, especially in some of the smaller partners. We're really trying to ramp up sort of sequencing in individual hospitals now. 
So sometimes the level of tooling and equipment is not the same as it is a, you know, BCCDC sequencing kind of core, <laughs> like the big variety there. As I say, there's kind of, there's different pipelines. There, there's a mix, you know, Quebec have their kind of own one. BC uses, I believe, a variant of the Connor Lab Nextflow. Right. Ontario uses a mix with the Connor Lab Nextflow workflow. There's Signal, which I'll talk about in a second. Uh, again, the same core originally was developed to try and handle when we weren't quite sure how sequencing was being done. So it was originally developed as a workflow to handle all these different types of sequencing data, Met, you know, the metagenomics approaches, the bait capture, the amplicon tiling, et cetera. So originally a de developed signal for a project with led by Julius Nasir and Andrew MacArthur's lab, really trying to look at how to get, how best to do sequencing right back, right back early in the pandemic. Right. Um, and the answer was basically the Arctic protocol, which was convenient. <laughs> but that meant we then had this workflow that we started to build kind of sequencing infrastructure around that in, implemented in SnakeMake. So we kind of coordinate that same core I feel guilty for for contributing to the proliferation of workflows. I know, I know it's bad for titians. We should never really do that, but uh, we built it for a different purpose originally. And then it was repurposed to kind of standardize with that common core. And it does like, it's in SnakeMake. So that is an advantage. Some people are more comfortable with SnakeMake versus Nextflow. There's a lot of debate over which is better. But the Nextflow, you know, the Connor Lab Nextflow really has a lot more eyes on it, a lot more kind of high level robustness, I would say. So, you know, if you're, Starting blank, I would go for that. But uh, Signal also does kind of a bit more. It uses that competitive mapping for de-hosting. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a slightly better de-hosting method. And it also has kind of more generation of interactive reports, which is not really needed in the COG system because you because there's such great infrastructure for right. doing all that at a higher level. But for individual labs, there's been a lot of kind of interest and popularity in those kind of interactive reports that summarize that particular run of all those genomes. Right. So... Yeah, so there's a variety of different kind of ways and approaches being done across Canada. At this point, I kind of want to switch gears a little bit and start to talk about variants. So in Canada, we're seeing a lot of B117, and we've had cases of B1351 and P1 pretty much since they were first identified. So what can you tell us about what we're seeing in terms of the prevalence of the what we call the big three? And uh, what can you tell us about any new variants of interest? So Finn, I know you've been doing a lot of work on this for different provinces. Do you want to expand on that? Sure. A little? I might actually just jump back briefly. And I apologize oh. if this means editing. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> one of the things, and particularly with, with Jared in terms of the Canadian workflows, is uh, we've been having this issue, and this kind of dives slightly more into the more technical chat, having this particular issue with indels and variant calling around indels by Ivar. Mm -hmm. um, it's been submitted as, as issues, but essentially it's, it's kind of standard. It's the standard pileup method related variant calling error. So in short, it's just when you know, when you're having, when you have an indel and you have reads that, um, you know, your scoring scheme for alignment doesn't like introducing a big gap in the read. Mm -hmm. So you tend to get really bad alignment around that indel uh, right. for a few of those reads that map it, which leads to these spurious variant calls. Mm -hmm. So kind of, Jared tried to kind of work around ways and, you know, much better at this kind of stuff. And obviously, you know, has a lot more experience in the, the, the weeds of some of the variant calling methods, but it's actually made a nice fork of the Connor Lab Nextflow workflow that implements a free base alternative, mm -hmm. but then processes the kind of the results of that. So essentially, you know, instead of avoiding indel alignment, realignment issue does basically gets accurate variant calling around the indel. Um, and it's, you know, and then, but, but adheres the same masking and uh, like thresholds as the IVAR tool. Yeah. So we're currently running that in parallel. So again, through the OICR fork of the Nextflow workflow. Mm -hmm. uh, I've also implemented it in Signal in the dev branch currently. 
-hmm. just kind of tuning it and checking that out. We're probably not going to leave Ivar. We're probably still going to do the Ivar-based calling. But mm -hmm. really, I think this is useful for kind of checking some of the more spurious kind of mutations mm -hmm. that uh, Ivar can sometimes predict around Indels. It's right. nice to have this as kind of a side side check. And it's a lot quicker than our previous side check in Signal, which was BreeSeq, which is a great tool, but is not a fast tool. So yeah, that's that's one of the one of the main kind of workflow things and things in Canada that we're changing where we're changing things rather than just repurposing things the rest of the world's using. So just to jump back to variants, and do you want to tell us a little bit about that situation? Sure. Overall in Canada, we're seeing the same kind of variant of concern kind of increase over time as being seen in many other countries in the world. So right. currently Ontario, I think is high is one of the higher percentage, although it's not certain based on exactly uh, exactly how deep monitoring is across provinces and doing that comparison can be quite difficult. There's about, I think there's two, yeah, there's about 6,000 cases in Ontario currently of one of the variants, three variants of concern mm -hmm. and almost exclusively B117. There's a right. small number of B1351 and P1 variants across the provinces in Canada, but most of the variants of concern genomes that we're seeing are B117. Mm -hmm. And there, so that's about 42% of all the Ontario cases now, or genomes that we're sequencing are B117. Mm -hmm. uh, none of them seem to have the E484K mutation yet. Right. So in that particular combination. But yeah, so we're, see we're seeing it basically increasing at the same rate that we see everywhere else. We see the same issue of faster transmission of B117, possibly more severe disease, kind of again, following a lot of those patterns that we've seen. One area that's been quite like a small number of cases overall, but quite a significant outbreak was in Newfoundland, mm -hmm. where there was a... Uh, it had almost, I think, I'm not sure they had, have they had any cases? It had almost no cases in the pandemic. They have. Yeah, they have. Up into, but up into very recently. And right. then there was quite a large outbreak that is largely associated with B117 variant. Mm -hmm. so it spread very quickly, which, especially in the maritime communities that had possibly been a little bit more, or Atlantic communities, I guess, because we're talking about Newfoundland as well, um, mm -hmm. that had possibly been a little bit more casual or laissez faire at times now that, because we didn't have a lot of cases. Um, it was a useful reminder that especially these higher transmission variants can spread very quickly in yeah. these smaller communities, these quote unquote islands. You know, everybody and their dog have their own variants these days. Is there such a thing as a Canadian variant? I mean, there's definitely, there are definitely variants in Canada that we probably aren't seeing elsewhere or is there mutations occurring in Canada? You know, there's a lot of cases and we don't, you know, in some provinces where, you know, in the like one to two percent of cases are getting a genome sequenced. Mm -hmm. Like we've been using genomic data to develop kind of high throughput PCR screens right. for, you know, F501, N501Y. There's a new one, just uh, Hamilton Health, we've got E484K kind of screen mutation. So, and you know, so we're, we're developing some kind of faster ways to kind of screen, trying to look for those particular mutations we know are potentially concerning and okay. seem to be arising independently in multiple lineages. But there's definitely, there's, I mean, you know, it's an evolving, it's an evolving entity. There's okay. going to be variants in Canada that we don't see elsewhere. Right. You know, we're working very carefully to try and, you know, triage them and kind of work. And this is where a lot, a lot of the work that Em and Will have been doing about like variant nomenclature, again, a pattern being repeated yeah. across the world of how do we classify and talk about variants? But yeah, right. we're, we're screening them. We're looking for them. You know, we identified you know, we identify, you know, the B1525 that, you know, this other lineage that had an E484K mutation. 
that you know we hadn't really seen before but seemed to be you know increasing in numbers so you know and then we that led to coordination chat you know talking with other countries that possibly detect it looking at travel history across the provinces and really bringing conference calls ad hoc conference calls with all of those public health different public health agencies especially the ones doing their own sequencing to really talk about like okay what data have you actually got versus what data have you managed to like get through the hoops to submit to a database or release yet so kind of yeah. trying to do that as fast as possible and kind of kind of close that loop even in yeah. some of the issues of data sharing to better monitor new variants. In yeah. Canada, we're aiming to sequence about 5 to 10% of, of our s- samples. So some argue that might be too low to detect the rare variants. But I think the, the key here to understand is that what we're interested in is variants are likely to uh, increase um, in terms of uh, increase in the population. So even at that uh, level of sequencing, we should be able to spot new variants that are increasing in the population. And also importantly, as Finn mentioned, we are uh, screening for known variants using uh, more high high throughput uh, methods uh, than sequencing to allow us to to quickly catch some of the variant of concerns in the population. But I also want to highlight that this is again, a call for a need for centralized Canadian database in order for national profiling of the different mutations that are seen in the population. So the power of aggregation allow then would allow us to detect the low and, and, and rare mutations in the population uh, before it uh, becomes a problem. And I, I just want to circle back on one of the things that Finn mentioned that um, I, that has been discussed on this on the Microbinfi podcast before the issue of variant nomenclature. So how are we handling variant nomenclature in Canada? I know, uh, Will, you've been doing some work on that. Do you want to maybe Sure. So that? indeed, one of the activities that, were, that was undertaken as part of the CPHON is to standardize the, the names given to the different variants that are found uh, in Canada, and especially ones that uh, are variant of concerns. So uh, we, uh, given that, many of the provinces have implemented uh, pangolin as the lineage calling tool. And the decision was then to adopt the pangolin lineage naming scheme for reporting purpose. So currently we have the three variant of concerns named using the pangolin lineage names. And then the others were referring to them simply as variants or variant of interest with no uh, formal system to uh, prioritizing them, but still to give them consistent names. So if they come up again and again, we will have the ability to to spot the increase and to compare the variants across Canada. There are also works that are going on as part of the Kenkogen network to link variants to their uh, clay-defining mutations and also linking these mutations then to the functional changes that might might incur by by the variants. So indeed, in Canada, we very much uh, are interested in the evolution of the of the virus and are trying different methods to capture these these changes and to name them consistently across Canada, uh, adhering to the international standards and conventions as much as possible. I've been really trying to advocate for a uh, sort of two separate classification systems in which we kind of triage individual mutations and we use that to feed into our you know variant of concern, variant under investigation type type uh like triage of variants 
specifically okay. so we can then prioritize those follow-up experiments there's you know further epidemiology but yeah, just by having those kind of two two systems i think it's a nice way of kind of dealing with that mutation versus lineage kind of gap yeah right. indeed the, the emphasis on variants sometimes under, undercut the importance of it's actually the mutations that, yeah. uh, and the constellation of mutations that are uh, defining these variants so uh, indeed, the underlying evidence, the underlying mutations need to be highlighted and, and tracked as well. And we don't really have a process for going from a variant of interest to that higher priority variant of concern level yet, but we have a lot of you know, discussions ongoing and we're certainly looking to the international community for guidance on that as well. We want to make sure that we're in line with that. Kind of international consensus and building that global consensus. We also have, as I say, the different public health systems and the different provinces yeah. and territories are also approaching this, like not necessarily all approaching this exactly the same way. Exactly. So I know some of this can be resource-based, you know, in a larger system like Ontario, they might be triaging a larger number of variants and mutations than another province can like afford to actually dig down that far. Hi guys, it's Nabil up here in the editing booth, and I think that's all the time we have for today. The Canadians have taken over the podcast this episode to talk about their public health response and genome epidemiology of COVID-19. I want to thank Emma, Will, and Finn for running the show today, and you will hear more about COVID-19 in Canada next time on the Microbin V podcast. Thank you all so much for listening to us at home. If you like this podcast, Please subscribe and like us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or the platform of your choice. And if you don't like this podcast, please don't do anything. This podcast was recorded by the Microbial Bioinformatics Group and edited by Nick Waters. The opinions expressed here are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of CDC or the Quadrum Institute.